podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So it was the first Sprint Saturday we've ever had um, in Azerbaijan. Today, to talk about this with me, we have James. James, how are you? I'm right, thanks, Ollie. Uh, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Sam, how are you? Yep, all good. Want to sprint through this? How are you? Oh, you've already <laughs> just asked that. Abby, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. So it's been an interesting uh, day, really, finishing off with Max Verstappen calling George Russell a dickhead, but we will get to that. Um, so, guys, what did you think of the sprint showdown? So this is the qualifying for the sprint race. Now, just before I shoot ask out, you, shoot out. Oh, I'm reading showdown. Then rewrite shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm looking at our Twitter. So, okay. What did you guys think of Sprint Shootout? Sprint Saturday Shootout. Um, we did ask our fans on Twitter. And before the Sprint Shootout started, 143 people voted on whether they thought it was a great idea or a gimmick. Uh, 30% of people thought it was a good idea, and 70% thought it was a gimmick. After the uh, Sprint Shootout... 44% of people saying it was better than free practice and 56% of people saying they'd rather have free practice. Um, Sam, which would you rather have? What did you think of the whole sprint shootout? I'd rather have a sprint shootout, but that doesn't mean that the um, format doesn't need to be further refined. It is better than what we previously had on sprint weekends, but there's more they could do. I think they need to shorten even still the qualifying session. In fact, I feel like I've said in a previous podcast, I think each session should should just be a, a one lap. You've got one lap. Um, even if they have, you know, uh, a flexier kind of approach where it's only the top 10 that's to shoot out, something like that I think would spice it up a bit have more variety and more upsets and then you can allow the Saturday to be an opportunity for some of the lesser teams to score points. Yeah, I mean, I think that might be the third time you said it, but every time you said it, I've agreed with you. Uh, it, it would differentiate, a li- differentiate it a little bit more. And I don't know, I just feel like it's a bit, but it's not quite, yet. it's definitely not refined yet. And you can see that in the fact that Lando got into the top 10 and then couldn't go because he'd run out of tyres. He could have gone on, on wets, but there was no one else yeah, who true. also had to be yeah. on wets. So you know, he would have he would have ended up tenth anyway. Yeah, I think the thought of a driver going out on a dry track in wets because they haven't quite you know the, the format's not 
sorted that problem out. It's just mad. And I couldn't even believe that was a conversation. Um, Abby, do you think there was a lack of practice coming up until today? It felt like, you know, it was almost turn up and you're straight into, you're straight into a qualifying session really, because there was so much reduced running on the Friday. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, it was enjoyable to watch, but I do actually miss having more free practice sessions because yesterday we saw quite a few incidents and red flags. And again, today in the sprint shootout qualifying, it, I get that the entertainment factor is there for fans. The drivers have something more to fight for with the sprint shootout, trying to get a good position to get points in the sprint race. But at the same time, like they still need to develop the cars and there were issues. Like yesterday we saw Gasly have a terrible day with the fire on his car and then he crashed in qualifying as well. So I do think there does need to be some more refining, like the guys have said, to help give them more development time and to work out what works on the circuit. But it was enjoyable to watch. If George Russell at any point over the weekend bemoans the lack of practice time, I swear to God... Because he in Australia was the one who was, you know, advocating for less of it. Um, but I, I, I like, I like the less practice. I think it it works. And much like the F two and the F three guys were kind of saying, it separates the good from the great. It is a real differentiator there, and I think that's a good thing. I think these are the you know, these are world class mechanics, engineers, drivers, you know, motorsport personnel. They can adapt to this, and they will. This is just the first time they've had to do it, so it's obviously going to be a bit sketchy. Also, Baku is chaos at the best of times. So it's not, I think, a representative sample to, to begin with. The question I want to put to you guys, though, is do you think the format of the weekend would work better? And you'd lose the whole Sprint Saturday thing if it went FP1, Sprint Qualifying on Friday, Sprint Race, Saturday morning, actual qualifying, Saturday evening. But obviously, if you total your car on Saturday morning, you've probably compromised your entire Grand Prix. But anyway, guys, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, don't total it then. <laughs> uh, it's never a good idea to total it, is it? I, I think, I was thinking the same because it felt weird to me having a qualifying just after another qualifying that kind of mattered less. Like it, I don't know, it was just... Mm. I know what you mean. It was almost like this was more of, a, more of an event than the actual qualifying session. I mean, that's obviously all the hype talking about it, but it it feels a bit the wrong way around. It, uh, I see what you mean. I was going to say, well, kind of the opposite. I'm like the qualifying. Yeah, I kind of I agree with that, and also kind of saying the opposite in that the qualifying Friday's qualifying does mean more. Obviously, it it has to, so that it should, you know, it's the whole thing of the the weekend should build, and now it feels a little bit disjointed, because now you've got the most important qualifying session, then you've got another shorter one, which doesn't really matter as much, that you're not really as excited for, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's lacking a bit of a rhythm and flow to it, at least in the first iteration uh, that we've had. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right on that, James. But... uh, I do th- I hope that they stay away from other gimmicks like reverse grids. I think that works brilliantly in the junior formula because you want drivers to be able to showcase every facet and every part of their ability. And you don't necessarily need that, need that when once you get to F1. That's not the purpose of it. Everything up to that point is about showcasing what you can do and developing as a driver. Um, so I don't think it's the place for experimenting uh, in that sense. 
I feel like the pace of, of, of this weekend as well is unsustainable. I mean, it, it feels like it's just been go, 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 go. Imagine being the mechanics who've had to rebuild cars and then rebuild them again. Abby, do you think this is something where you could have a fewer season, but you it's not certainly not something you could do every weekend? I mean, it would just be exhausting, even as fans watching it. Definitely. I think having a 22-23 race season is a lot in itself adding the sprint races six this year that's more and then having like a whole separate qualifying for it it does it increases the risk and for the engineers and that they have so much to do over a weekend and having this sporadically throughout the season i think works well you it's not sustainable every weekend in my view like you said Ollie. i think i remember seeing martin brundle's suggestion of having maybe three different formats that they would alternate between throughout the season, like a the classic race format or something that you'd use at, okay, Mon- Monaco's probably an outlier, but at Monza and Spa and, and then a few for like this, a street race format and then, you know, something like that just to give it a bit more structure and maybe help the events help themselves to some extent. I, quite, I can't remember exactly how he put it forward, but I remember thinking it was a good idea. Sounds a little bit like he's kind of borrowed inspiration from IndyCar, um, where I think there are subtle differences depending on, you know, various kind of, uh, you know, obviously you've got the street, road and oval circuits. So, I mean, it's worth a try, but again, I always kind of, the thing that I always power on about is consistency and how that's key. And I think the more change and variables and so on and so forth that you are I mean variables are good but the the changing of formats across races across seasons bothers me like I, I saw someone the other day saying that oh Yuki Tsunoda is now the second leading Japanese point score in F1 and I thought there's a huge caveat to that because yeah you know he's the only Japanese driver I think I think who's raced in or raced for a sustained period in the modern era of 25 points. I think Kobayashi maybe had one or two seasons. So yeah, it's he, totally he warped. All of Kobayashi's career, apart from the like three races in 2009, would have been the 25-point season. But I assume okay. he's probably well, the, the leading one. Well, he, he's and the leading so, one, right? Yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah, the, my point stands anyway. But you know. The one thing I have seen a lot of backlash about is the qualifying on a Friday. Now, obviously, this is we're used to it with sprint weekends anyway, but... Uh, it's it feels to me like a lot of people are going to miss things that they enjoy where you just can't watch F1 all weekend, including Friday. You'd have to take the day off work to watch free practice one. And um, obviously the, the, the qualifying, but personally, I feel like that's something that's got to change. They've got to rework it. Adding in this whole extra day with something as important as qualifying on a Friday. Like you said, James, it takes away the the building that it's going up and down, up and down throughout it. Um, We've obviously heard a few suggestions of, of, of how that can be solved, but let's talk about the actual um, Sprint Saturday shootout. So it was this morning. Um, did you guys think the format worked, the session length? Sam, I know you've already said you didn't. Abby, I'm keen to hear your thoughts. Did you find it exciting? I think it it worked having shorter ones. If it was just the same format as a usual qualifying, it wouldn't have worked. Having the time decrease throughout did, but as James pointed out, the issues that Sonoda and Norris had, obviously Sonoda didn't get into Q3 in the shootout, but Norris not having tyres, that needs to be focused on and fixed because you can't have that. Um, yeah, I think it worked, in my view. It could be shorter, but for the first time, it was all right. 
I think they need to change SQ3, definitely. I mean, it will vary. I I think Sam made this point on the news show that obviously the the length of the lap is going to make a big difference. But yeah, it feels like a halfway house at the moment where they could do two runs, but the second one was almost pointless because they were always going to go for it when the tyre's at its freshest. And that's basically what we saw, tyres burning out and very few people beating their times second time round. So at that point, just make it a one lap. Like for the for the sake of making it half an hour so it goes 12, 10, 8, like that doesn't matter. Just do 12, 10 and then do one shootout in SQ3. It doesn't matter if it's 25 minutes or half an hour. It doesn't have to be a round number. Yeah, and also you then get, you can do the onboard or have full undisturbed coverage of each driver's lap. It, it the, the tension, you know, even if they try to borrow some of the elements of Formula E qualifying, like head-to-head, just something different that really distinguishes it from the rest of the weekend, I think would be really useful. But yeah, I, it's not that I don't think it worked. I think that it did, but it's not there yet. The timings need to kind of change slightly. If anything, it actually kind of suggests to me that conventional qualifying is maybe a bit too long. Do you think that SQ1 and 2, it just felt like they were kind of going around on mediums hoping that their final lap didn't get red flagged? Yeah. I hadn't thought about it, but it makes sense what you're saying. I mean, I wrote the session report for, for the sprint shootout and I was so focused on actually what was happening that I didn't really take a step back to consider some of these large questions. Is there a danger though? Uh, and by the way, I love the idea of having that one lap um, for SQ3 where you're on board and, and you, you feel immersed in it. That's a brilliant idea. But is there not a risk of making this so short that it's right? Okay, right. At 10 o'clock, I've, I've got to watch this. It's only on for 15 minutes. Okay, then I've got to make sure I'm back home again for the afternoon to watch that. And that's actually only 17 laps. Is it just all a bit broken up it feels like if we're going to sit down and, and watch something you know we need the build-up we then need an actual event we don't want an hour build-up on sky for a 17 lap race it just feels like that the, the usage of time isn't right maybe condense it down yeah that could make it more interesting if they had a really quick turnaround between the shootout and the sprint like literally all- 20 minutes half an hour or something it would also mean that there's more to lose in the qualifying session as well, because I mean we saw it. So Logan, you know, Logan Sargent didn't run in the sprint race, so there's already that. But that really kind of you know emphasizes that point. Yeah, I, th- I think that that could work. But then, what do you then plug <laughs> the afternoon? The other, you know, from a coverage perspective, they obviously want to dominate as much of the weekend as they can. Well, um, yeah, and from an event perspective, if you're going somewhere, you don't want to be there 15 minutes, do you? Um, <laughs> especially if it's it somewhere like Silverstone, <laughs> you're going there for a day, right? If it's the dentist, then yeah, great. <laughs> get me, get me in and out of that chair asap. <laughs> All right, well, let, let, let's go. actually go into the, the, the qualifying shootout, Sprint Saturday qualifying shootout. Sam, you said you did the report. Um, quite a lot of drama in the, in the first um, SQ1. So uh, Piastri was off, Tafriis was off, um, lap times were consistently getting faster, and we, we had another crash, didn't we? Yes, so within a matter of minutes of Q, S, sorry, SQ1 starting, uh, Oscar Piastri had found the escape road at turn three, uh, which didn't have any impact other than there were a few you know, yellows for a little bit, but most people were ahead of him and still managed to get their flyer in. De Vries had another moment where he had to use the escape road. But the big, big talking point of the session was 
as the clock was running down towards the end of uh, the session, Logan Sargent found the wall at turn 15 and uh, promptly ended um, SQ1 with 25 seconds on the clock. This in particular hampered Yuki Snowder, who was, I think, about 100 metres from the start-finish line and probably would have got through to the next session. So that yeah, was was a shame on his part. Um, also, Gasly had issues, so he didn't complete the session. Uh, so he was down in 19th. So who did not make it through? That was De Vries, Gasly, Sonoda, Bottas and Joe, the Alfa Romeos looking uh, off the pace this weekend. Now, Sargent said it was because he was, well, he said the Ferraris were out in the middle of the road, I think he said. Seeing that on board, Sargent had got himself into P11, which was amazing. And seeing that on board, it would have thrown anyone really having the Ferraris where they were. I mean, do you think that was that's a rookie mistake or do you think the Ferraris were to blame? I, I, I think the it's kind of weird to dis- distinguish here, right? I think that it, the Ferraris are to blame from Logan's perspective. I think they did distract him. They did put him off. But I don't think they're at fault in the sense that there was no impeding. It's not penalty worthy. It, so in that sense, yes, it is a rookie mistake. These things will happen. SQ1 today was a, you know, basically Logan Sargent in a nutshell. Very, very quick. Quicker than ever, anyone really gave him credit for. But he does have a mistake in him, which he's early in his career he will iron those out but yeah that that was essentially what happened there for me okay um abby do you want to talk about sq2 and my notes are very very thin on sq2 what what i can't even remember what happened well not a lot compared to sq1 obviously the start was slightly delayed due to the repairs being made from sergeant's crash before anyone set a time we saw hulkenberg bring out the yellows in sector two but he got up and running again obviously aston martin have had drs issues all through the weekend but sq2 did see alonso move further up the grid i think he even went ahead of science at one point and he managed to help stroll who was still suffering from drs issues get him a toe as well and then it was a battle of the mclarens with norris just beating piastri to get into sq3 but obviously as we've already said norris didn't have the tires to actually run in sq3 one thing I have written down as well was the DRS issue that the, the Aston Martins were having. This seems mad to me that you could go through all of these sessions not having a DRS working. Um, well, James, what's your thoughts on this? Surely they could have fixed this between yesterday and today. Oh, maybe they were lacking practice sessions to do so, to figure out what was you know, the, the little... <laughs> Sassy. Mm. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it is. It seemingly they've got it sorted in the end, in time for the actual yeah, sprint. But clearly, you know, I guess they had, they didn't have the time to kind of properly figure it out whilst the the shootout was going on. Yep. So it was um, Alonso was towing stroll around, I believe, in in SQ two to try and solve that. Um, yep. James, you want to fill us in on the final um, SQ, which is SQ three. Yeah, it's funny that they they went with SQ and not SS for sprint shootout. I wonder why. Uh, but mm, they. Oh uh, gosh. <laughs> But yes, uh, so you had both Red Bulls out and um, yeah, sitting at the end of the pit lane four minutes before uh, the green flag was dropped. Clearly everyone just wanting to avoid having their final session ruined by yet another red flag. There would be one, but it was later on. So we had Perez initially to the top, Verstappen had a bit of a messy lap, couldn't quite match his teammate and then Charles beat them both. 
And yeah, second time round, like I said before, there wasn't a huge amount of improvement across the board because the tires were mostly past their best. Charles did what he does best and put it in the wall whilst he was on pole. Only really hurt his teammate though, messed up Carlos's lap as he was the only car behind him. Uh, but he didn't, it wasn't really punished for that because yeah, nobody really improved apart from George Russell, who finally for the first time, pretty much all weekend got ahead of Lewis and jumped up to fourth. Yeah. It was an unusually scruffy lap for Max, wasn't it really? Um, Mm. It doesn't seem like his head's been in the game with any of this um, sprint action, does it? Oh, it's interesting. Yeah. That, you know, Sam talking about separating the goods from the greats and I don't think anyone could really contest that Max, Max is a great at this point. He's a double world champion. He will likely go on to win many more. But he seems to be struggling with the lack of practice more than Jekko, maybe, you could argue. We'll see tomorrow, but that's... I mean, Jekko is also good around Baku, but I don't know. It's worth talking about. But also, Max has never bought into this format, has he? I think there's an an element of him being a little bit pissed off about it. Not just... That normally makes him better, though. (laughs) Well... I don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't it's know. only not slower. More prone to a mistake, maybe. But yeah, and I don't, I don't know. He just has been ever so slightly off color, maybe. But I mean, Max Verstappen being slightly off color is you know still near perfect color. So it's you know the guy's exceptional. So I, I don't know. I wouldn't worry too much about him or or Red Bull. But and yeah, he's gonna have off weekends across the course of a 23-24 race season. I was going to say, all the other drivers seem to have taken the sprint races and the new format in their stride, whereas Max does seem to have been riled up about it. But Charles is exceptional round Baku. Obviously, this is his third pole here within three years. And Perez is notoriously good around street circuits. So it was nice seeing Perez challenge Max and seeing Max face some difficulties throughout the weekend. Yeah, and I did wonder, was Max relaxed because he knows he can just overtake everyone on the straight, but didn't seem that way. Um, so talking about the sprint race, the starting top three were exactly the same as the the race last year. Um, I guess there's a lot to talk about in terms of the beginning of it. So um, Verstappen lost the place to George Russell. This was, this was very unusual, wasn't it? Um, James, would you like to talk us through that first lap kerfuffle? Well, yeah. Um... Charles got a great start. Uh, Checo matching Max was a little bit slow and then got a little bit boxed out and found George down his inside heading into turn two. Uh, George kept his nose in and then understeered wide a bit. Caught, I think it was front tire, front tire to rear tire, uh, which yeah had Max slide out a bit wider and clipped the wall. The two of them then went down to turn four. Is it turn four? I feel like they count the kink as three. So you got one two, three, and then four is the... Well, listen, Sam, square, Sam is drawing their circuit, not just counting. So so, <laughs> so one, two, three, four. Great for a podcast. Great for an and audio. five... <laughs> yeah. Does, does that make sense, James? So anyway, it's kind of they, like they the went down the straight next to each other and George squeezed Max out uh, and he did actually clip the barrier again with his rear tyre as he was squeezed to the edge, but managed to stay just about ahead of Carlos. 
So classic Max Verstappen here was absolutely fuming. Um, Sam, did you think there was fault in Russell here? Do you think Max was right to be angry? I mean, he was riled up, wasn't he? He was. He was like a something that you wind up and let go. I don't know, yo-yo. Um, sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> a wind-up toy, maybe? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, like, yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, no, he was not happy. And I don't really think that there was much fault from Russell. It's the first lap incident these things happen. Yes, they're on cold tyres. Yes, you need to be careful. But also, George might have had a bit of understeer, but he was alongside him. It was his corner in certain extent, to a certain extent. So I think these things happen. I did think he was massively overplaying the uh, the amount of damage that he had incurred until he pulled into the pit lane at the end of the race and there was this yeah. gash running down the side of the car and you go, okay, fair enough. Um, but yeah, I don't think it was really George's fault. It was a racing incident. But I think what's more interesting is the uh, team radio element of it. Yeah, Abby, what did you make of the team radio? Seems like Red Bull were trying to say everything that they can to point the finger to Russell in my view, because there have been many times where Max has not left enough space for other drivers. And this time he thought there wasn't enough space for him and he just doesn't like being squeezed and having damage on his car. Yeah, Imola, yeah. Imola last, well, Imola 21, I can just see that first lap going into that chicane. I would just like to replay that to Max Verstappen when he gets angry about these things. Uh, James? Yeah, no, talking about Red Bull pointing the finger, I mean, yeah, it's quite different to what was it in, yeah, Brazil 21, the, come on, Michael, that's all about the let them race, isn't it? And when the shoe's on the other foot, it doesn't really seem to work that way. I mean, there's no way you put Max in George's car there, he's backing out. Simple exactly. Exactly. So yeah, why but- is he complaining? Well, because it's a it's a paddock full of hypocrisy at the end of the yeah, day. Because he's a everyone has player. has vested interests, and that's that's what they're going to do. They're going to play the game. There's so much politics involved. But I, what I will say is, yeah, it was a little bit annoying how kind of whiny, um, not just Max was, but GP and also Christian Horner were like an element of kind of come and get on with it. Like in F2 this weekend, two occasions, I think it was Enzo Fittipaldi and Isaac Hajar were both essentially told to like sharp and get on with it by their race engineers, which sometimes you need. That said, GP and Horner clearly know what buttons they need to press with Max and when. And sometimes they need to really kind of side with him Sometimes they need to shut him down or, or be sarky and kind of put him back in his place. So they took took an approach clearly that they felt they needed to in that scenario. But yeah, it was a bit like, okay, you can stop moaning now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it all led to a very, very uh, cute and entertaining moment once the guys got out of the cars. Yeah, it did. Um, so after this, we we were we were shown a, a shot of a wheel just rolling down the hill on its own um, from Yuki Sonoda. Now this was a strange one. It's not often you just see a wheel so perfectly just down the middle, just rolling on its own. Um, but it's also very very dangerous for this. Now they didn't get the safety car out in time, but Yuki Sonoda did sort of come in guys what what was your take on this yuki sonoda whole scenario it was a bit of a strange one um abby i'm I'm interested to hear your thoughts on how that was all handled so obviously they brought out the yellow flags and then they did a virtual safety car i think which at first i was like 
why is it a virtual because there is a tire literally on track and a virtual safety car yes speed is reduced but they can still race and then they finally brought out the full safety car because the tire then did go on to the racing line i do think across this weekend we have seen safety cars brought out later than i would have liked i know in the f2 race earlier they did bring out a safety car but for me they brought it out a bit too late um but it was interesting to see how they deal with it i still feel like the fia and the stewards are still trying to find their footing and not second guessing themselves but on over like they're not that confident on their decisions that they're making yeah you know it's only been 73 years give them time Well, talking of giving them time, Yuki Tsunoda went into the pits. We thought, all right, that's his race over. But it wasn't, was it? He went out for a um, a lap going sideways. I mean, this shouldn't be allowed, should it, Sam? It was ridiculous. <laughs> no, it shouldn't have been allowed. But again, as we've seen before, when cars are then re-released in an unsafe condition, uh, I think it was, uh, was it Alonso's in Austin last year where there was some controversies about the condition of his car? Mm. I think there is an element of... It's quite difficult to tell sometimes when the car's stationary. And by the time it's out on track, it's out on track and it's too late. But yes, it was crabbing around. I like the phrase crabbing, but for me it was more slithering, like a little snake. <laughs> like that, um, that, you know, that YouTube video, you know, the slithering like yeah. a snake. Yeah, a little bit like that. I hate snakes though, so it kind of made me feel a, li- a little bit uneasy. <laughs> That was a lot to take in. But yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to say was, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously there's, as Crofty pointed out, it was also Zandvoort last year with Sonoda, with the same car and the same team. It's different scenario. Uh, that was, yeah, less obvious. I think with this one, what kind of bugged me about it is he was coming out a lap down in a 17 lap race. Check it over properly. I get it a bit more. If you're trying to rush your, you know, your, your two thirds into a two hour race and you've still got something to fight for and you want to quick check over. Okay. It looks okay. Let's hope for the best. They were only going out realistically for a bit of effective practice. Once they got him back out, there's no way he's getting anything from that race. So it, I mean, we saw the replay. It was the, the head mechanic just kind of gave it an eyeball for two seconds. Didn't even touch it. And was like, yeah, yeah. Gave the thumbs up. And Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's. I mean, on the onboard as well. He was. He was like full lock going straight. Surely you would have stopped yeah, before the end of the pit lane, right? But he didn't either. Um, I'm sure that will be looked at. Um, on the restart, both Mercedes got past. Max got past George, and Alonso got past Hamilton. I thought there was going to be a bit more of a fight between those two today, but that never really. Uh, came to fruition. Um, Norris was having a shocker on his soft tyres. It seemed like soft tyres were not the thing to choose today, really. Um, but let's talk about Sergio Perez, really. He pulled out quite a quite a healthy lead towards the end, passing Charles Leclerc. What did you guys make of that? Could Leclerc have done anything differently? I thought today he did everything he could have done. James, resident Leclerc fan, what was your take on on uh, Leclerc and Perez today? I felt like he didn't defend very hard, to be honest. Um, maybe just used to the Red Bull sailing past, but it felt a little bit like he kind of left the door open. Um, maybe his plan was to hang on and then try and get him back or to use him to defend from Max. Maybe he felt like it was an inevitability. Maybe it was just a case of, you know, what's one point when it boils down to it, when he could fight harder, lose seven or damage himself ahead of the the real event tomorrow. And that's the the bigger question about the whole format, I guess. 
It certainly didn't seem like Red Bull have had that straight line advantage we're used to, though, um, in, in Baku. Sam, what's your take? Do you think Christian Horner was saying something earlier about, oh, no, it's only two or three kilometres an hour uh, advantage we have at the moment, where Sky seemed to think it was 10 or 12. Um, do you think there's Red Bulls are looking a little bit slower around the track in Baku? They are. I mean, in the world of ridiculous, I saw on Twitter someone estimated that it was about 30 kilometres, <laughs> I think, with the DRS open. And I was like, no, no, <laughs> that, that, that can't be. Um, I think really what the probably the bigger factor is, yes, it might be slightly reduced because of the way they've set the car up. They maybe need to set the car up more conservatively than others around here because who may suit the car slightly less than it does their competitors. So there's lots of different factors there that can result in that advantage being lessened here. But I think the bigger difference in terms of racing and racecraft is the reduction of the DRS zone on the main straight. I think it's 100 metres shorter this year. So that will obviously... Um, have have an effect. I think it's the right choice, by the way. Uh, you don't want people just sailing past well into turn one. You want them to be fighting into turn one and therefore two, three, four, and so on. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's where they are with it. They're still a very, 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 very dominant um, car and it's nice for us to have Ferrari in the mix, which I don't think we would have otherwise. It sure is. So that was sort of our recap on Sprint Saturday and some of our thoughts on it. Abby, only the top eight got points. Would you like to run through the top eight for the Sprint race for me? Yes. So Sergio Perez took the victory. Leclerc finished P2 ahead of Max in P3. Russell finished fourth, Science fifth, Alonso sixth, Hamilton seventh and Stroll in eighth. So there we are. That was Sprint Saturday, our thoughts on it. We will be back on Monday to discuss uh, the, the main race and we will do our standard review, national anthem and all that good stuff. But we thought we should just cover Sprint Saturday because it's new. So until Monday, James McKenzie, thank you. Thank you. Pleasure was all mine. I'm glad to hear it, Sam. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean, pleasure was partly mine, actually, as well, James, so... No, you don't have a oh, sorry, on that. Sorry, I'll stop hogging it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Abby, are you going to share some pleasure? That sounds wrong. <laughs> oh, Oliver. <laughs> Thank you for having me. And on that note, we will say goodbye. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Sports Social Podcast Network.